You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou art. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Blessed Lord, we give you thanks and praise that we can come together in safety and dryness in fellowship and love to receive the riches that only you can give through your word. Bless us now as we reflect together upon them that we might be fortified for our own walk upon the water our walk of faith in this life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm just returned from a week with my family. And a week with my family always convinces me again of something that I know is true, but it gets driven home again. We are complete geeks. Just 100%. Most families get all riled up and, 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 you know, fire up around a a dinner table when their favorite team drops the ball at the critical moment or or there's a coaching failure in the big game or when that politician from the other party says the stupidest thing ever and you get riled up and going. Yesterday, we got about a half hour out of this from my daughter. She's looking at her phone. She says, Dad! believe there's somebody who thinks that the 2005 version of Pride and Prejudice is better than the 1995 version. Now, I know I shared this. I don't expect you to remember it. The 1995 version of Pride and Prejudice is my favorite movie of all time. I have seen it 23 times now. And it's five hours long. (laughs) Um, the reason why my daughter was so offended by this review uh, or this, this ranking of all the Jane Austen movies was that the reason the person gave for promoting one, the one above this, that, my favorite came in at number two, and, and this, was that the reason why the person said the other movie was a much better version of Pride and Prejudice is because it had so much more romance in it more smoldering looks between the two love interests, more furtive touches of the hand and this kind of stuff. And my daughter looked at me, she says, Dad, Jane Austen hated all that stuff. She wrote a whole book about it, Sense and Sensibility. (laughs) She knew that romantic love was, at least had the potential to be deceptive. She wasn't against romantic love, but she knew that that shouldn't lead. She knew it because she was a Christian. She knew that self-sacrificing love was the real kind of love. And that character and integrity mattered more than warm, fuzzy feelings in the pit of your stomach. Basically what this reviewer was saying is that, and she proclaimed herself a fan of Jane Austen. She's like, I really like Jane Austen if she was a little less like Jane Austen. And there's a lot of people who feel that way about Jesus. And that is what St. Paul's talking about in our passage today. 
When he talks about these people who want to ascend to bring Christ down or descend in order to bring Christ up. There's a lot of versions of that. In the ancient world and the modern. In the ancient world, you know, the reason why they climbed mountains to worship was so that they were physically closer to the gods or goddess and could then trap the god or goddess in the temple and wrangle some favors out of them, pay them off a little bit, prove their worth by climbing the mountain so that maybe the god would give them a little bit of favor. That's not the way the God of the Bible works. We don't prove ourselves to Him in order to get His favor. He proves His worth to us by giving His grace, beginning with Abraham, when in the covenant-making ceremony, He fulfills both halves of the covenant and all the way through to our Lord Jesus Christ, who proclaims from the cross, It is finished. And so reveals the character of God to us as one of self-sacrificing love. There's nothing we could do on the top of that mountain that would do anything but bring Jesus down from His already exalted place. Philippians 2 talks to us about how Christ's name has already been exalted over every other name because He emptied Himself and took the form of a servant for us. The highest position is that of service. He's already at our service. We don't need to twist His arm, put a pebble in our shoe, lash ourselves to prove our worth. We also... We also can't look at him and say, he was a really great start, but there's more to do. Let's move beyond what Jesus did. There's there's a lot of modern theologies, particularly the liberation bent, that do this picture. Jesus and Karl Marx walking off together, holding hands into the sunset. Jesus got us started liberating people, but now we need to keep on rolling. We've, we've, We've more to do, and some of it against what God actually says in the scriptures. We do not climb the mountain because all we can do is bring Jesus down. Conversely, we don't descend into the depths either. We don't need to flagellate ourselves. We don't need to abase ourselves in order to get God to pay attention to us and love us. He's already done that. And Jesus Christ, He wants to lift us up first great theologian in church history, Irenaeus of Leon, has this wonderful phrase. He says, the glory of God is a human being truly alive. Alive because we're not slaves to false purposes anymore. False ambitions. False gods. He sets us free, accomplishing all that is necessary And gives that all to us as a gift. That is why we are saved by grace through faith. And this is why St. Paul says, the word of faith knows that we don't have to go up to bring Christ down. We don't need to go down to bring Christ up from the dead. Because he's already raised. He's already here. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is truly God in the flesh. We're told in today's gospel reading that they worshipped him. 
And he doesn't reject it. Every angel in Scripture does, by the way, when people try. He's demonstrating that he's truly God as well as truly human. And in doing so, tells us who he is and what that means for us. That he has accomplished what's needed for our salvation. And thus it is that with our hearts, we believe he is raised from the dead. That doesn't mean a warm, fuzzy feeling, by the way. When St. Paul uses that phrase in the ancient world, to do something with your heart was to do it with all your will. To throw yourself at that truth and that reality and, tr- and trust in it. The way you trust a good safety line or the harness on your, uh, what do you call it? That thing that goes over you when, you're, when you ride a roller coaster. <laughs> and then we proclaim with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We believe with our hearts, we proclaim with our lips, and calling Him Lord, we treat Him like Lord. And here's the thing about lords and servants. Lords have things for their servants to do. And that's when we discover what we are to do. We don't do this in order to add to our salvation. That's been accomplished. We do in order to demonstrate that He is Lord. To preach with our bodies and our actions as well as our words that Jesus is Lord. We share the word of faith. That's the proclamation St. Paul's talking about. But then people believe our proclamation of faith because of our deeds. We're called to lives of holiness by our Lord. Not because our, the perfection of our holiness will somehow make us more saved. But because it will be the avenue whereby we become agents of His grace and mercy. Peter experienced this in today's Gospel reading. Lord, after he gets over being terrified, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water and I'll do it. Sounds good. Come. I love that. Jesus, one, one word, just a command. Come. And immediately... Because he takes his eyes off Jesus. He pays attention to the wind rather than his Lord. I tell you what, if you've ever been in the business of trying to follow after Jesus, and I'll reference you to the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, for the Sermon on the Mount, just to get you started, you're going to feel just like Peter. Can you go forward two screens for me? This is the view you're going to get of Jesus if you try to follow him. <laughs> I love this picture. This is a painting by, I'm going to see if I get the name right, Jung Sung Kim. Uh, and it's called The Hand of God. I love that you can see the soles of Jesus' feet. <laughs> As you're under the water and he's reaching down to pull you out. See, we get out of the boat and follow Jesus. And we do. You may never be asked to walk on water, but I tell you what he has asked you to do. Love your enemies. Pray for your persecutors. Forgive your brother or sister 70 times, 7 times when they fail you and repent of it. I have harder time with that than walking on water. (laughs) You're going to fail. 
But the point is not to succeed. The point is to obey. And in the obeying, here's what you're going to discover. That God's glory is to lift you up out of your failure. Set you back amongst the apostles. And keep you moving on the path of salvation. Luther said, uh, one of the hallmarks of Lutheran theology, that we say that human beings are simo justus et peccata. That is a fancy Latin phrase for simultaneously saint and sinner. We're saints because God has declared us to be so on behalf of the grace given to us in Jesus Christ. And we're sinners because that's what we do well. But, but we also... We also say that phrase in a different way. What we mean is that God makes saints out of people who sin in the process of trying to become a saint. See, Peter got out of the boat. Peter followed his Lord's command. He failed. And Jesus once again proved he's Savior. (laughs) And so it is for each of us in our Christian walk. We fail our Lord, but we try. And in the trying and in the failing, we discover that we do much better when we rely on His strength rather than our own. To calm the storm, to keep our feet above water, to keep us on the path that gives witness to Him whose glory and grace and goodness is beyond all reckoning. I served a church in uh, Michigan 20 odd years ago as the youth minister and I'll never forget one of our council, our council meetings, congregational meetings, This is a church that, you know, to get its 10% quorum, we had to have 300 people in the congregational meeting. Um, And I loved, we had a, a, our our vice president of council at that point was uh, the president of research and marketing for Domino's Pizza. And we had a 50-page packet to read each year for our annual meeting. Not just the budget pages, but all the reports of all the committees and everything going on. And I loved, he got up there and he flipped through that and he highlighted some of the great things that were going on in the church. He says, you know, this was a great year for our church. In fact, I'm wondering if it was a little too great. He held up the report and said, did anyone fail for Jesus this year? Did anyone try hard enough, step enough out of their comfort zone, but they failed And learn something so we can try something better next year. We are called to heed our Lord's command to get out of the boat. Not because we won't fail, but because we will. And in failing, His grace will restore us. We'll learn to lean into our relationship with Him and... Step by haltering step, he will teach us to walk on water to our salvation and to his glory. Will you join me for a word of prayer? 
Gracious God, you do wish to make us truly alive. Strengthen us, Lord. Grant us true courage, the courage that relies and leans on your everlasting arms. The grace to follow you, to proclaim you, that others may know you. First and foremost with our words, and secondarily with our lives. That we might be your people and give glory to you. We ask this to our precious Savior, Jesus. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my life.